weeks. And I remember my first encounter with Malachi. I had it was a baby Christian. I had just finished reading the Old Testament for the first time. I was also part of a Bible study, and I was so excited to tell the group about what I had just learned in the book of Malachi. And uh, there was one of the older gentlemen in that study kindly uh, told me that it was actually pronounced Malachi. And so from then on, I, I was have been a lot less confident in saying any of those Bible names out loud. And so we're beginning a series in this great writing. And so just to give you a little bit of background, first Malachi is a post-exilic prophetic book. So post-exilic meaning this is after the exile in Babylon. While the people of Israel were in exile, God made a lot of promises. He promised that there would be an individual, a Messiah, who would be some kind of savior who would come from the line of David. They were hoping that the David would come back through one of his descendants, that they would be led by a righteous king. Um, There were also promises of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. There's going to be a new covenant as well. The temple had been destroyed and there was the promise that the new temple would be way greater than the former temple. There are also images, particularly in Isaiah 11, of what seems like world peace. Forget the kinds of animals that will be one next to the other, a lion, the wolf and the lamb being together. Pictures of world peace. So now, by the time the background of Malachi, the people have come back into the land, and they are waiting. Time goes by. They're still waiting for these promises to come true. Some of them becoming a little bit skeptical. The general vibe seems to be disappointment. And their disappointment was starting to show. Disappointment is just part of being a human being. We can be disappointed with various circumstances that we find ourselves in. We can be disappointed in some of our relationships. Um, Though we're not really taught to do this well in the church, but at times we can be disappointed with God. We can be disappointed with family. We can be disappointed with friends. Often we can be disappointed as well with ourselves. Disappointment is not all bad. When someone is disappointed, I see, ah, there is a person who used to have hope. If you don't have hope, you'll never be disappointed. So disappointments are not bad in themselves, but we can't let them rule our lives. Or disappointment can turn into shame, sadness, bitterness, anger, cynicism. What we have in Malachi is the presentation of God's posture towards his uh, disappointed and disobedient people. God is warm, as we will see in this text, but also firm, warm and firm. He reminds them of his love for them, particularly in our text, but he also calls them to repentance and to start acting like his beloved people. Now, the final point of introduction I want to talk about is the unique style 
in Malacca. I'm going to use a word when I was typing it. Um, my word processor kept underlining it because it did not recognize it. And, and this is the word, or at least I was making a grammatical mistake. This is the word disputation. So the prophet presents throughout this book a dramatic dialogue between God and his people. The Lord is urging this disappointed people to love obey, trust, worship, and honor him. And so every time we're going to see through these uh, different, through, throughout the book, there's a statement by God, the people object. They say, that's not true. And then the third component of this disputation is the proof of the original statement. Okay, so let's dive in. And then this first, uh, this first disputation, Malachi 1, 1 to 5, this is the statement. I have Loved you, says the Lord. The concept of love is powerful. You know, I, in some cultures, we try to really use it sparingly. We don't want to overuse it, lest it would lose its value. The word love is the most powerful when it comes out of the mouth of someone who knows our flaws. What it communicates is, I know you and I'm not going anywhere. This is the love of friends, ideally, the love of spouses, the love of parents and siblings. But above all, this is the love of God. When he says, I love you, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows our flaws. So that was the statement. I have loved you. Now we're going to go to the objection in this disputation. And so generally in a movie or probably in real life, too, whenever you hear someone say, I love you you kind of start to feel it. You're, you're expecting the answer to be, I love you too. Okay, a warning, if you don't mean it, don't say it, okay? Or you'll just make things worse. Um, but in this dramatic dialogue between God and his disappointed, disobedient people, it's like Malachi is giving words to their actions. And he's, their response is, oh, really? How have you loved us? So what Malachi is communicating is that by their actions, they are showing that they're not affected by God's love. Malachi is saying, you are acting like an unloved people. Can't you see how ungrateful you are being? So this speaks to something quite deep. Whether for right or for wrong, when people do not feel loved, it will show. There is that maxim, maybe you've heard it, that hurt people will hurt people. So when our emotional, relational needs are neglected, we are wounded. Then our wounding prevents us from enjoying healthy relationships and will continue to wound others. Our wounding spreads to anyone that is close to us until we heal. So... There are two possibilities when someone does not feel loved. It could be that there really is genuinely no love. When children are not loved, the consequences in adulthood are devastating. Most serial killers, if you do a little bit of research on their childhood, have experienced horrific trauma in their childhood. Not always. Can't explain everything. And I'm not saying this to try to justify them. 
but it explains a lot of what's, what's going on. Other studies have shown that the common denominator among all gang members is fatherlessness. Okay, so sometimes there is a genuine lack of love that leads people to act out. Other times, as it is for God's love, it's not that he does not love us, but we do not feel his love. This is true as well in our human relationships. I thought there was a book that I found very helpful uh, called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Um, I actually haven't read it, but just someone told me about the concept, and so I thought it, w- it was pretty good, where he lists different ways people show and receive love. Uh, time spent together, touch, words of affection, gifts, and service. And so when a person expresses love in a way that is different from someone's preferred way of receiving love, there can be a real disconnect. And so there may be a lot more love than what is actually being felt. And some people feel like acts of service and gift giving isn't really intimate, not very personal uh, compared to touch, words of affection, and just spending time together. So a child may want their parent to hold them and say, I love you, while all along the parent thinks, oh, with all the gifts that I'm buying, clearly my love is obvious. In our text, God says he loves Israel. Yet for whatever reason, Israel does not recognize God's love and they're acting out. And we're going to see this in the rest of this series through Malachi, the different ways that this disappointed people is being disobedient. When we know that we are loved, our life is manifested by joy, confidence, the capacity to love others, positive outlook on the future, creativity as well, an attitude of gratefulness. Whether it is by misunderstanding of love or a real lack of love, there are consequences. We want to feel known, celebrated, understood, and sympathized with. When we sense neglect, we tend to turn in on ourselves. We isolate ourselves, often to avoid further harm. We can become less focused on our role in society, refrain from any kind of community. Really, this is a defense mechanism. We lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that we don't need anyone. But hurt caused in relationships needs to be healed in relationships. And isolation just prolongs and even deepens the wounds. In isolation, no one can challenge our toxic thinking patterns or toxic emotions, and we can cultivate bitterness, anger, low empathy, and deception. We convince ourselves that we don't need others, and it leads to practical atheism and even cynicism about justice in the world. These are all themes that we're going to see throughout Malachi in weeks to come. In the rest of Malachi, we're going to see the different ways the people of Israel are acting out. They're acting like an unloved people towards God. We'll see this next week. They worship suffers. They weren't bringing the right kinds of sacrifices. The priests no longer loved the word of God. They were no longer teaching the Bible. 
They believe they have wrong views about God, that he is unjust and will not punish the wicked. This theme actually comes back twice in Malachi. Their generosity suffers. The people stopped tithing. Malachi highlights the delusion of this disappointed and, dis- and this disobedient and disappointed people. He also highlights the effect it has on our human relationships, particularly in Malachi 2, 10 to 16. See, the people are acting faithlessly towards one another. The men were divorcing their wives um, and were marrying unbelievers. When we love God, we want to marry someone whose most spectacular trait is their love for God. When we love God, we love God's children. We are at peace with one another. 1 John 4.20 puts it so well. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love a brother whom he sees cannot love God whom he has not seen. Final part of application on the second point is I want to ask us, do we act like a beloved people? Could Malachi just waltz in here and proclaim, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have I loved us? We'd probably look at him a little weird because we're like, I never said those things. He's like, yeah, well, your actions seem to be communicating just as much. Have we responded to God's love by loving others? I know that uh, some evangelicals can become very mean when they defend God's truth and they don't realize that as they're trying to defend his word, they are disobeying it in the process. Dallas Willard calls this righteously mean Christians. Perhaps we value comfort. Perhaps we value like an orderly worship service and they're quite rigid about it. But what are we most known for? Christians are to be people known for the change that happens uh, when they come to know Jesus. We are people changed by the cross. We are to be known as a people who is loved, who loves people. Paraphrase of John 13, 35. All right. Now, uh, Final portion in this disputation is the proof of God's love from Malachi 1 uh, verses 2 to 5. Really the rest of the text, I'm only in like the first sentence of verse 2. So in the rest of the text, Malachi or God through Malachi proves his love. What he does is he refers back to a story, the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25. So in Malachi 1, he continues, Is not Esau Jacob's brother? I love Jacob, but Esau I hated. That's why I wanted Romans 9 verse 13 to be read. This is the big, that's it. So from the context in Genesis, what it means for God to love Jacob means that he chooses Jacob to be the heir of Abraham's promises. So what it means is it's through Jacob that God is going to bless all the families of the world. For us now who live on the other side of the cross, we understand it is through Jacob that the Messiah, Jesus, was to come. And so the the story is in in Genesis 25, that while Rebekah, Isaac's wife, was pregnant with twins, the Lord told her, the older shall serve the younger. And now, 1,500 years later, we're in Malachi's day, 
he presents the implications of Genesis 25 on his own day. God's choice of Jacob over Esau means that God loves Israel and hates Edom. So that we followed in the Old Testament reading, the language against Edom is very strong. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the wilderness. This speaks of utter desolation. If there's any attempt to rebuild, the Lord is going to crush the rebuilding. They may build, but I will tear down and it will be called the wicked country. Edom is going to be known as the people judged by God. In contrast, now, the promises of Abraham belong to Israel. Edom, while Edom is a nation that will be utterly annihilated. In the meantime, Israel returned from exile. They returned from Babylon. They're now living in the land that God promised them, where they will prosper and become a blessing for the whole world. To show his love for Israel... God chooses a story about twins. Why? There's no difference between twins at birth, which shows us that God's love has everything to do with him and not what we could possibly offer. We read uh, in God's inspired commentary on Genesis 25 and Malachi in Romans chapter 9, particularly now verses 10 through 13 that I'm going to read again. Romans 9, 10 through 13. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, now quoting Malachi, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hate it. This is the Christian good news. God loves you because he loves you. He didn't love you because of anything you did. Therefore, he's not going to unlove you because of anything that you do. It also means that God's love is secure. And knowing this ought to change everything in our lives. So the argument is, remember, you have a twin and I chose you. God's love for Jacob and followed Jacob's descendants. God loves Israel. This is how God loved Israel throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, 8 says, It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh. So in the Old Testament, the love of God, at least in Deuteronomy 7, love is synonymous with salvation, the exodus, delivery out of slavery. If we continue to read the Old Testament, this love takes a new, greater meaning. It becomes synonymous with coming out from Babylon, this kind of salvation and being restored back into the promised land. This use of love is used elsewhere in the Minor Prophets. I'm going to read two verses, one from the first Minor Prophet book. Um, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the 12 Minor Prophets are to be read as one book called the 12. And so this is really the first writing in the 12 from Hosea 14, 4, 
as he's anticipating the return from exiles, we read these words. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. And then a book in the middle of the 12, a writing in the middle of the 12, Zephaniah 3.17, about God's love in connection with bringing them out from Babylon. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. So even though God punishes his people, his love does not fade. His love is warm, affectionate, and passionate, according to these verses. God rejoices over his people who are his treasured possession. He exults over them with loud singing. Imagine that. When God says, I love you, in Malachi 1-2, he is saying that he delights in them. They are living in the land again, and they will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. For us, the greatest picture of God's love is in Christ. God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him might have eternal life. God loves us. His love transforms us and it moves us to live differently. So here's a warning. If we think we know that God loves us, and if it doesn't affect us, as it was the case Malachi 1, perhaps that love is just intellectual. It is not intimate. I think a symptom of this kind of love is that we prefer to debate over ideas than deeply care for people's hearts. Knowing God's love intimately changes our emotions, our thoughts, and our character, really everything about us. And then the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of God's love working through us by his Holy Spirit. Now, collectively, if, if collectively as a group we are transformed by this kind of love, ideally... When we gather on a Sunday, when you walk in this room, you'll you'll see the sparkle in people's eyes as they see you. You're going to feel welcomed, known, and celebrated. Also, if we love God, we're going to prefer a worship service in which the songs and sermons align with Scripture that makes much of God. And any kind of attempt to entertain and promote some kind of celebrity culture will deeply grieve us. God wrote the Bible. If we love God and want to please him, biblical worship is what he seeks. And our love for God and our knowledge of his love towards us will naturally flow out to others. Malachi 1.5, there is a shift, a shift towards the, the future where Israel will recognize that God loves her. Malachi 1.5 reads, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord above the border of Israel. For Israel in Malachi's day, the shift would occur when they recognize the destruction of Edom. 
Right, it's kind of a strange argument for us. But the nation of Eden in Edom in post-exilic times was a real threat to the nation of Israel. Their destruction will be obvious and, and also their inability to rebuild, according to the verses that we read. At the current time of the writing, the people of Israel were blind to God's work. But God loves them and one day they will see. They will realize God did fulfill his promise to bring them back into the promised land where they can thrive all the while their twin has been utterly destroyed. In our lives, the call is to do something similar to what we read in, in those verses. Sometimes we can get so caught up in a particular trial that we forget all the good God has done for us. It could be that amid a trial, we feel depressed, anxious, and even angry, and spend little time remembering the, God, the good God has done for us. This passage finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. What every Christian can look back on, no matter where we find ourselves, is our salvation. We must intentionally set time aside to marvel. Even if things are going well for you, it won't always be the case. We need to learn to practice this habit of continually remembering the gospel, remembering what God has done for us through our salvation, which is God's greatest manifestation of his love for us. Then we'll be able to endure, endure hardships as we remain focused on Christ in the midst of our trials. And so in the same way God refers Israel back to her story, we can remember also what God has done for us. Because of what God has done for us in the past, we can endure hardship in the present and know for sure that God loves us, is with us, and also we live in the hope, knowing that we're going to be in his loving presence forever. So to conclude, in this life, there will be disappointment. The Bible addresses so many topics. The war, murder, adultery, barrenness, bereavement, family conflict, jealousy, and gossip. These are part of our everyday lives. God knows what we are going through. They're in the Bible. When we're not intentional about worshiping and remembering the good God has done, our hearts tend to slowly turn away from God and we'll start to act like an unloved people. God has given us his son, the forgiveness of sins, a church family, his Holy Spirit and the scriptures. So when things get hard, we can know in light of all his gifts that he is with us. He does love us. If we look back, we can see that God has transformed us. His Holy Spirit lives within us, comforts us, teaches us. By his power, we can live as his beloved people who bear witness to God's love. This is what Malachi is all about in the weeks uh, that are coming up weeks. We're going to flesh this out and, and explore the different areas in the Christian life where we act out when we forget God's love for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be able to learn from a 
piece of literature that was written so long ago, so clearly inspired by you and is your word and is profitable for us in 2023 to live uh, as people trained for righteousness. Um, Father, I pray that as we go through the various disputations in Malachi and that we hit hard topics, that you would not only through your Holy Spirit comfort us and lead us into truth, but also that you would use this series for this young church plant to set our bearings as a people who does not shy away from harder portions of scripture, a people that wants to manifest your love in all areas of of life, and also a people that gathers around one another in hurt and trial and struggle, that we would be there one another, equipping one another, edifying one another, and that ultimately through this congregation, you would be glorified and that you would also use us in in a mighty way in our various lives, whether it's at school, at work, in our families, uh, to reflect you, glorify you. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.